0: Good morning. What a beautiful number to start out on. Good night. She even got the white people up out of their seats. That's a feat. That is a feat. <clears throat> well, good morning. I am Jennifer Cronk. I'm the pastor of Children and Families, and I'm so delighted to be here with you this morning, uh, preaching our sermon for this morning. And in case you're wondering, so Pastor Drew's not sitting in the front row, and he's not preaching. In case you're wondering where he is, um, he has not been raptured. Uh, he is actually in the children's department today. He is serving in the children's ministry, uh, both hours, and he is going to have lots of good stories to tell you next week about why he was doing that and all of the things that he experienced back there. So make sure and ask him if you see him before then, but otherwise you'll hear in the services uh, next week. So let me pray for us to start us out, and then we'll dig into the word. Um, wow. Jesus, your name truly is above every other name. There's going to be a day when every knee, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess, Jesus, that you are Lord to the glory of God, our Father. So we just pray, would you start that work in us today? Would you bend our hearts in submission and worship to you this morning? God, I give you myself. You know I have no words to say that can change a single heart here, but you do. You are the living word. Your words have life and power and hope. And I pray that you would apply those things to our people's hearts this morning as they listen to your word. God, do your work. Encourage our hearts that we more that we may live more fully surrendered to you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I recently switched my cell phone carrier. And if you know that, you know it's, it's a tedious process. But when I did, I got an unexpected happy gift, a free three month subscription to Apple TV. And so of course, I had to watch the show that everyone has been talking about for the past year, Ted Lasso. For those of you who are living under a rock like I am, uh, Ted Lasso is the story of the most unlikely football, and by football I mean soccer, coach of all time. He goes from coaching a mid-level American football, real football team, to coaching a Premier League soccer team in England. Right? Doesn't make any sense at all. But Ted is a glass-half-full kind of guy. He always sees the best in people, and he's always coaching players to be their best selves. When he starts, obviously this is a stressful transition, right? When he starts, he starts experiencing some anxiety. Eventually it comes out in the form of panic attacks. He's reluctant to ask anyone for help, and he even resists going to see the team therapist when it's suggested to him. After a lot of internal struggle and a couple more panic attacks, he finally works up the nerve to go see the therapist. In one of their first sessions, she says something really poignant to him, and it reminded me of some words of Jesus. I'll beg your forgiveness because I'm going to alter her words a little bit in order to avoid a little offense. But this is what she said to him. Ted, the truth will set you free, but first it'll make you mad. She ends up repeating that sentiment to him several times throughout his therapy. Now, I'm starting with that quote because I think that it's a really helpful way for us to frame today's topic. In this sermon series, we've been talking about the many different types of conversations that we're invited to have with God through prayer. This morning, we're talking about learning to trust God through prayers of surrender. I want you to keep those words in the back of your mind. The truth will set you free, but first it will make you mad. To some of you, those words might sound a lot like Jesus' words in John chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in me, and my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's an interesting paradox. Jesus says that the truth sets us free. But can it also be true that the truth makes us mad? And if so, why? Certainly, we can see throughout the Gospels that Jesus' words often angered his listeners. So much so that he was criticized, attacked, plotted against, and eventually crucified For no more than his words. I think we can also see throughout the Gospels that anger is, on many occasions, a form of grief. As Jesus' followers are forced to deal with the loss of their identity, their money, their time, their creature comforts, their preconceived notions about Jesus, and so many more things in order to learn to love God And their neighbor. Every loss produces grief and grief must work itself out in the life of a believer. Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter 12. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must Follow me. That's Luke twelve twenty five to 26. Have you ever heard of the five stages of grief before? If you have, I can see Helen nodding, our, our social worker, of course. If you have, you can say them with me. They are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Surrender to God often looks this way, doesn't it? Messy. Fraught with emotion, sometimes some cursing, before eventually collapsing into God's sovereign wisdom and tender heart. Surrender to God and his will are never easy. We want to be in control. At least I do. I admit it. I love having things my way. Take, for instance, choosing a restaurant to go to dinner with a friend or a spouse. You know you should be generous and let that other person have the first pick, right? That's the right thing to do. But then they choose the worst place that you can imagine. Maybe I could just make a few good suggestions, you reason with yourself. Phone calls or text exchanges ensue. And before you know it, you're eating at the place that you wanted to go to all along. I bet if you're willing to be honest, you've done it too. It's human. It's in our DNA and it's called sin. It's the overwhelming desire to have things our own way, to be in control. To trust our own instincts over God's truth. We rebel against him. We want to have things our way instead of his. In fact, it was that very lie that Satan used to convince Adam and Eve to disobey God in the garden. You will be like God, he said. That sounds pretty good, right? Being like God? Because we want to be in control. We like being in charge. And it's true that we can control some aspects of our lives, like our alarm clocks, what we eat for lunch, whether we exercise, the clothes that we wear. But there are many things in this world that lie outside of our control. Sickness, death, natural disasters, pollution, war, even love. Because after all, we can't force someone to love us. We can't control Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We can't control systemic injustices. In other words, we have control over little things. But the biggest things in our world and in our own personal lives are out of our control and sometimes even our own influence. Surrender requires us to acknowledge this, to admit that not only are we not into control, but to rejoice and rest in our lack of control. We do that by grieving the idea of having things our own way and celebrating the fact that God remains in absolute control. His heart towards his children is always good, always kind, always generous and always full of love. We grieve and we acknowledge and we accept all that we are not so that we can rejoice in and trust and love all that God is. Now, I know, I know I'm going to have some dissenters about this next part, but I am a huge fan of the Harry Potter books. I think they're a beautiful allegory for the gospel. In the first story, the main characters of the book, Ron, Harry, and Hermione, they have to get through a series of magical obstacles in order to find the Sorcerer's Stone, a powerful magical stone, and prevent it from being misused by he who shall not be named, the evil wizard Lord Voldemort. One of the obstacles is very fittingly called Devil's Snare. It's a growing, winding, vine-like plant that wraps around you. The more you resist it, the tighter it gets. And when you're scared and you're panicked, the natural response is to resist and to flail. But the secret to Devil's snare is to relax, to submit, to trust. It will eventually loosen its grip, and you will be free. Let's watch a video so you can see what I'm talking about.
1: Whoa. Lucky this plant thing's here, really. Whoa. of you is devil's snare. You have to relax. If you don't, it'll only kill you faster. Kill us faster? Oh, now I can relax. Relaxing, is he? Apparently not. I've uh, got to do something. What? Uh, I remember reading something in herbology. Um... Devil snare, devil snare. It's deadly fun. But we'll sulk in the sun. That's it. Devil snare hates sunlight. Luma solemn. Ron, you okay?
0: <laughs> it can be so easy to sit here in the comfort of our seats and to think, come on Ron, just relax already. Trust your friend. She's trying to help you after all. But isn't that exactly what you and I do whenever we face obstacles in our own lives? When we experiencing, when we experience suffering, Most often, our natural gut response is to struggle, to resist God, to try to do things our own way and in our own wisdom. The whole time, though, what we really need to do, the thing that will actually set us free, is to relax, to surrender. The truth will set us free, but it'll make us mad first. Do you remember what the first part of those verses from John said in chapter 8? If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what does it look like to abide in God's word? It means to rest in the truth and promises that are in it to surrender to God's ways, to take him at his word, to really believe him. If we can practice this kind of surrender, then we will experience the kind of true, real freedom that God intends for us. Abiding in God's word is absolutely crucial because God's character can never be separated from his word. I'm going to say that one more time. God's character can never be separated from his word. It's in his word that he reveals his heart towards us. That he makes us unbreakable promises. That he commits to us as unswervingly as a father to a child. It is only by abiding in God's word, living in it day in and day out, through study and prayer That we grow to know him. That we believe that we can truly learn to trust him in any and every circumstance. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, The soul can do without everything except the word of God. Without which none at all of its wants are provided for. I'm going to put it a little plainer. We cannot live or hope or surrender without God's word because in it we find everything we need. Have you ever heard the story of Corey Ten Boom? It's a story of hope in the midst of great hardship, of surrender to the perfect wisdom of God. The Ten Boom family were devoted Christians who dedicated their lives in service to God and their fellow men. In the 1920s and 1930s, the Ten Boom family took in many foster children whose parents were doing missionary work. During the Second World War, the Ten Boom home became a refuge, a hiding place, for fugitives and Jews who were being hunted by the Nazis. By protecting these people, the whole family risked their lives. This nonviolent resistance against the Nazi oppressors was the Ten Boom's way of living out their Christian faith. During 1943 and into 1944, there were usually five to six people illegally living in the Ten Boom home, some of whom were Jews and others were members of the Dutch underground church. Additional refugees would stay with the Ten Booms for a few hours or a few days until another safe house could be located for them. Through these activities, the Ten Boom family and their friends and coworkers saved the lives of more than 800 Jews and other refugees. On February 28, 1944, the Ten Boom family was, was betrayed. And don't quote me on this word, the Sicker which is the security service, I can't speak German, um, of the Nazis raided their home. That day, more than 30 people were arrested, among whom were her father, Casper, and Betsy, her sister, and Corey. Although the Secret Service arrested many visitors, they could not find who they were really after. Safely hidden behind a false wall in Corey's bedroom were two Jewish men, two Jewish women, and two members of the Dutch underground. Although the house remained under guard by the Secret Service, members of a local police were able, by cunning means, to liberate the refugees 47 hours later. They were taken to safe houses, and all of them survived the war. Betsy and Corey eventually ended up at Ravensbruck concentration camp in Germany. Life at Ravensbruck was almost unbearable. But Betsy and Corey spent their time sharing Jesus' love with fellow prisoners. Many women became Christians in that terrible place because of Betsy and Corey's witness. Betsy died at Ravensbrook at the age of 59. But Corey miraculously survived. After her release from the camp at age of 53, Corey traveled around the world telling everyone there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. She said, God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. In more than 30 years, Corey visited over 60 countries to testify of God's love and to encourage people with the message that Jesus is victorious. She was a woman who witnessed and experienced great loss, deep heartache, untold suffering, unjust treatment, and countless wrongs. And yet, her faith in Christ, the promises that God had laid out in the scriptures, allowed her to beat that devil's snare. As she abided in the truth of God... As she relaxed into God's loving embrace, she was set free. She was able to trust and submit, even in the darkest of circumstances, knowing that God saw, he cared, and he had not abandoned her. Corey penned a beautiful poem. I was introduced to it as a teenager, and I love to read it Again and again whenever I'm facing difficult circumstances. When I find myself tempted to resist God's hand. It's called the tapestry. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I love those last two lines enough to say them again. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. That's the hardest part, isn't it? Trusting God, submitting to his will, his wisdom, his ways, his timing, letting go. I want to leave us with some promises from Romans chapter 8 that I find to be a great help when I'm having trouble trusting God. And we're going to put them up on the screen here. Verses 1 to 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verses 5 to 9. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Verses 14 to 15. From those of you who are led by the Spirit of God, you are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Verses 24 to 25. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And finally, verses 31, 35, and 37. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Did you notice what's been sitting next to me the whole time? It's kind of hard to tell what the picture on the other side is, right? That's because we were looking at the underside. We were looking at it the wrong way. But what happens when we look at it the right way? It's totally different, isn't it? What was a mess of color and patterns before is now a clear, beautiful picture. God sees the upper side. We see the under. He sees the picture that he is weaving in your life. You can trust him. Everything in God's economy has a purpose. A good purpose. Remember the end of Romans 8? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. So we're going to close the sermon a little bit differently this morning. Um, we're going to have a song that plays. I want to invite you to surrender as you listen. Whatever you need to let go of this morning, wherever you're resisting God, if you are not abiding in God's truth in some area of your life, I would invite you to pray, to release that to God. Maybe it's a difficult relationship. Maybe it's your finances or a health issue. Or something happening in your love life. Whatever it is, prayers of surrender don't have to be fancy. It's as simple as saying, I trust you, God. I'm letting go now. I choose to believe you. I know that you love me. I leave the choice to you. Have your way, God. So let's do some business with God in the next few minutes. I'll come back up at the end, but just know he's here. He's here. He's surrounding us with his love and grace. He gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. Does he have your surrender this morning? On your way out, when the service is finished, you're going to get a little postcard that has that poem by Coryton Boom, and I want you to read that over and over this week. I want that to be a prayer of surrender for you. Friends, he's never let you go. And he never will. It's impossible for him to, because what he has promised, he must do. Submit to him. Abide in his truth. That truth may make you mad at first. But if you allow yourself to abide in it. To get to know God's heart. His character and his intentions towards you. I promise you that truth will set you free. Today. Tomorrow. And as often as you need it. Let's pray.